As we have already expressed, we are so glad that you're here this morning. Appreciate so very, very much your presence. And we hope as we study together from God's Word this morning that after you've left here and you've pondered the things that we've done and the things that we've said, that tonight when you pillow your head for sleep, you will say, you know, I'm sure glad I was in the Lord's house this morning. The sweet singer of Israel gives us the text for our lesson today. It's in the Psalms, the 11th chapter and the 3rd verse. And he writes there, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, quite honestly, the King James translation does not strike the terror in our hearts that perhaps another translation might do. Personally, I like the translation Dr. Moffat gives to this particular passage. And he translates it, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's the King James. Dr. Moffat says, The pillars of the state are falling. What good can a just man do? Folks, this passage in Psalms is a passage for our day and our time. You read the full context of that psalm. And here is a man with his back up against the wall. Here is a man who is looking grim tragedy, as we would say eyeball to eyeball. And his tragedy is not just a localized tragedy. It's not something confined to one individual or confined to one particular group. It's a nationwide tragedy. The pillars of the state are falling. What good can a just man do? His whole world is threatened with utter collapse. He's watching the things that he loves the most being wrecked and destroyed. The things that he thought were substantial. The things that he thought were abiding. It's likely that David composed this particular psalm while he was in the court of King Saul. It was at a time when the hostility of the king was beginning to openly exhibit itself toward David. And it's possible that David's friends or those pretending to be his friends, were urging him to flee to the mountains. That's what it says in the first part. Flee is a bird to the mountains. But whatever the case, whatever prompted it, David is being tortured by a bullying adversary of some description. Whatever the case, the antagonist is taunting him by reminding him of the completeness of the collapse. And he also reminds him of his own helplessness to cope with this hopeless situation. He's being urged to get out while the getting is good. He's being told the disaster is 
too widespread for him to be able to do anything about it. What good can you do toward propping up a falling state? But this brave fighter refused to head for the hills. He turns boldly on those urging him to take flight. It's if he's saying to them, How dare you tell me to be off like a bird to the hills? I believe in God. I put my trust in the Lord. My course is not determined on the basis of what is personally pleasant, he says. My action is not decided, he says, by the noisy majority. My duty is to be decided by the will of God. And he says to them, how dare you urge me to do anything else or anything less. People, this situation is similar to what we face in our own day and in our own time. Every day and every time brings some threatened disaster of some description. Everything that man builds tends to fall into ruins. Man himself is subject to that same rule. And just as the things that they build rot, so also oftentimes men and women rot also. We've witnessed it. We've witnessed those kinds of tragedies over and over again. I can think over the years since back when I was a boy preacher, of those that I have known, those that I have loved, those that in days gone by I stood shoulder to shoulder with and fought the battles for Jesus Christ with, who have turned their back on the Lord. I think of a young man that I knew particularly, a young man that I had so much hope for, a young man that went to school, became a gospel preacher, met a fine Christian woman and married her. They had a couple of children. And I had such high hopes for that young man. She put him through college. She worked and he went to law school. But somewhere along the way, instead of going after the Lord, he started chasing after the dollars and prestige and popularity. Today, his home is a shambles because he left his wife and his children for another woman. And if you ask him today, he will tell you, I don't even believe that there is a God. I know those who've talked to him, those that are close to him. I know those that love him dearly, that have shed bitter tears because of it. But nothing's changed. 
He's left the Lord. And there's so many others that I know of, so many others I could mention. I know of so many that no longer love the Lord. They've left the Lord because of the cares of this life or because of the fact that they just weren't willing to pay the price. Those who have rotted away because they shut God out of their life. Beloved, since individuals can crash and burn, it is not surprising that the organizations and the institutions that men and women build can also collapse and crash and burn and rot and fall apart. To be sure. In back of the ruin of organizations and institutions lies the decay of the individual. When a home totters to its fall and rots, it's because of the fall of an individual. When a church fails, its failure is due to the collapse of individuals that belong to the church or individuals that were leaders in the church. And the fall of a nation is the result of the collapse of the citizens of that nation. Write this down. It's on the final exam. Nothing of value can survive the collapse of character. And because men and women tend to fall into ruins, everything that they build tends to fall with them. And this is a disaster that threatens every generation. As the psalmist would write, it was particularly intense, or he thought it was particularly intense in his day. Guess what? We believe that it is particularly intense in our day also. There are losses that have occurred that have touched every one of us deeply. Some of us mourn the loss of loved ones. Loved ones that have disappointed us and broken our hearts. Some of us are confronted by lonely ruins some days where there was once a home. Some of us have felt intensely the collapse and disintegration of a church. We have felt deeply as we watch oftentimes the failure of a nation. At this particular point in history, beloved, we are forced to look upon a world and a nation that has gone mad. A world that's turned upside down. A nation that has lost its collective mind. A nation where government programs promote sexual promiscuity in the name of health care. A nation founded on religious liberty where forces are doing everything possible 
to suppress and take away that religious liberty. A nation where groups like the Freedom From Religion Foundation and other like-minded groups are trying to remove every vestige and every reference of God from our society. A nation where leaders of radical Marxist organizations openly call for the destruction of houses of worship. And so the question comes with a very compelling urgency. The pillars of the state are falling. What good can a just man do? What can he do? What can we do? Well, there's a lot of options that he has, a lot of options that you and I have. We can actually help promote the disaster. However dark the night might be for the nation, we can actually make it even darker. However sure seems the final collapse of civilization, we can make it a bit surer. We can be part of the deadly disease preying upon the individual and upon society. We can be a part of the destructive forces that threaten our nation. We can join those blasting at the fundamental integrities by which the soul lives. We can help to destroy by joining with the enemy and fighting aggressively for those things that make for ruin. We can choose to do that, not because we are sinister and mean, or merely because we're determined to vote with the majority. In every generation, there are those men and women of character and integrity. Those who are determined to take their stand on the basis of what's right and what's wrong. But there are also those that are going to always be influenced by the crowd. There are those that are always going to count heads and consult the polls before they ever take a stand on any subject. And then there are those that are not openly aggressive. They don't openly fight on the side of wrong. They are the ones who sobbingly tell others just how bad conditions are. And they sobbingly talk about just how horrible things are. And then they tell everyone just how futile it is to try to make things better and try to set them right. It's like the man I read about one time back in the days of passenger trains. This man lived in a small rural community and a gospel preacher was coming to hold a gospel meeting or revival. And the train didn't come to this little community. It came to a town about 20 miles away. And the preacher got off the train there, and this brother met him there at the train station. And on the 20-mile ride back to the little community, this brother was kind enough to tell the preacher 
just how bad things were at the local church. And how that that church had just gone to the dogs. He said, in fact, things are just so bad, the church is probably going to ultimately fail and have to end up just closing its doors. Preacher said, well, I'm sure glad to meet you, and I'm glad to know all this, and I hope I can count on you to help me set things right while I'm here. Well, tragically, as the meeting came to a close, the preacher realized this man's one contribution was negativity and destructive criticism and nothing more. The man or woman who does nothing but wail only helps the individual, the group, and the world to fall apart. There's another group that's less aggressive. And those are the quitters. They see things are in a bad way. And so they figure the best thing for them to do is just wash their hands of the whole affair. They're the ones that look at the conditions of the country and say there's so many politicians and there's so few statesmen that I'm just not even going to vote. There's just no point in me voting. Or there are those that perhaps their church has fallen on hard times. The preacher is a disgusting bore. And the Bible class is actually a travesty. And the congregation is composed of nothing more than hypocrites. I had somebody tell me one time that they'd love to come to church, but there's too many hypocrites there. You know what I said? I said, well, that's okay. There's always room for more, one more. Come on. But the church is a travesty. There's nothing there but a bunch of hypocrites. So what do they do? They take to their heels, shrug their shoulders of all responsibility, and they quit. By doing nothing, those folks become a part of the disease rather than part of the remedy. But, rather than helping promote the disaster... You know what you and I can do? You and I can choose to live constructively. And when we choose to live constructively, then we can become part of the remedy. We can become part of the solution. However bad things are, we can help make it better. However weak the forces of righteousness not might be, whether it's in our community or in our state or in our nation, we can make the forces of righteousness a little stronger. However certain might be the collapse of everything we hold dear, we can make it less certain by living constructively. It does not matter what the evil is. It does not matter how widespread the evil is. You and I together can do something about it. Because you and I can take our stand on the sight of God. 
And there is nothing that is able to measure the value of a man or a woman or a group of men and women who dare to take their stand on the side of the God of heaven. Now, what encouragement do we have to take that course? There are some things and some appeals I cannot in good conscience make to you this morning. I cannot do like the guys on TV with the pretty hair and the pretty teeth and urge you to take this stand on the basis that it's the easiest way to live and it's going to be your best life now. Because it's not. If you make up your mind to live constructively and to cast your lot on the side of righteousness and to stand with God, it will be expensive. Because being the salt of the earth is not easy. Being a preventative of evil is not an easy thing to do. And it's not always pleasant to stand firm for your convictions. Sometimes it's hard. But Jesus did it. Through a brief and glorious life. And Jesus did it at the cost of a cross. But I can't tell you that standing on the side of God is going to be the easiest way to live. Because it's not. And I can, I can neither offer you the encouragement of certain and immediate victory. Now don't misunderstand me. Stay with me. I firmly believe in the final triumph of righteousness. But we may not always win the particular skirmish that we're involved in. Fighting with the minority, sometimes we're going to go down to defeat again and again and again. And so you're sitting there thinking, well, Tim... If being part of the remedy is not easy, and if being part of the remedy does not bring us immediate victory, what good is it? We should take a stand and be part of the solution. We should be part of the remedy because we are needed. The more desperate the situation, the more we are needed. Our loved ones need us. Our friends need us. Our church needs us. And our nation needs us. But more important than all those things, our Lord needs us. And we should take this course of action because it's right. I know. Sounds a bit trite, doesn't it? Sounds a bit old-fashioned, doesn't it? But it's still a good reason. Our day and time, look around us. Our day and time is a time of tremendous moral confusion. People everywhere have lost their moral compass. Folks don't have any sense of what's right and wrong anymore. 
But no one can be of help living a life that is lived negatively. No one can be of service whose work is to tear down. It takes less heart and less brains to destroy something than to do anything else. A monkey with a match can destroy more in an hour than a thousand skilled workers can build in a year. And we ought to live constructively because it's right and it's honorable to live constructively. And not only is this the right course, it is the sum total of our duty. It's the one business for which we were sent into this world. It's not required that we win every fight. It's not required we come forth victoriously from every game we play. Our whole duty is to play the game bravely and play it to the very best of our ability. When we do what's right, and when we live for God, it brings us into a fine fellowship. It brings us into the fellowship of some of the choicest men and women on the top side of God's green earth. And it brings us into the fellowship of God. That's the kind of life that will never fail. Living for God. Living God's kind of life. One day, we'll hear Him say, Well done good and faithful servant. That beautiful 15th chapter of Paul's first Corinthian letter, he's dealing with the resurrection. And as he brings that 15th chapter to a close, he's talking about the resurrection, talking about our resurrection. He says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Are you listening to it? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor, your labor, is not in vain in the Lord. To hear Him say, well done, To know that 
we will have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has to be the Lord and the Master of our lives. That involves, in simple trusting faith, confessing of confessing the name of Jesus before men, repenting of everything that's sin in our lives, being buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. And then it involves Jesus Christ being Lord and Master of all of our lives. Do you need to make changes? Do you need to do something different to make Jesus Lord and the Master of your life? This is your opportunity to do it as we stand and while we sing. For the